0: Gridliance is a proud sponsor of Public Power Underground. A subsidiary of Nextair Energy and the leading transmission company in North America, Gridliance is a transmission-only utility company that's more than just wires. With operations in three regional transmission organizations, Gridliance works with electric cooperatives and municipal utilities to create collaborative solutions that integrate renewable energy and improve the reliability and resiliency of the electric grid. Learn more at gridliance.com. That's G-R-I-D-L-I-A-N-C-E dot com. Welcome to a special recording of Public Power Underground. I'm Paul Dockery, the host of Public Power Underground and an electric utility enthusiast. On Public Power Underground, we talk about the electric utility enthusiasm trifecta of electrification, markets, and people. Today's episode of Public Power Underground was recorded live on stage at NWPPA's 83rd Annual Conference and Membership Meeting in Anchorage, Alaska. Deborah Smith, the general manager and chief executive officer of Seattle City Light, was the organizing force behind the recording and is the moderator of the panel that includes Randy Hardy, Steve Wright, and Bill Drummond, who will all get introduced at, on the panel. As a production note during the recording, there was, were some intermittent issues with Deborah Smith's mic. You'll notice some portions had to be cut to adjust around that. On the panel, Deborah and the... Panelists cover topics ranging from greatest regrets to reasons for optimism and proudest moments. At the end, I join the celebrities to play an energy inspired game I call Energy Enthusiasm Distilled. So stick around to listen to their greatest energy takes optimized for the TikTok algorithm. During the interview, Deborah mentions her pending retirement. She has announced that she's transitioning from her role as the general manager of Seattle City Light to an advisory role starting June 30th and fully retiring from the city in November. Uh, She'll be greatly missed. This episode will be published close close to her retirement. So uh, this is my most public way of saying thank you. I enjoyed working with you and I love you too. My guess is you'll end up like the rest of your panelists with a career beyond this retirement date. So I'll add that I'm looking forward to working with you again. With that introduction of the episode, I'll turn it over to the host of the conference, the Northwest Public Power Association's executive director, Scott Corwin, to introduce the
1: panel. We started in hard times to bring us all in Into the laughter through thick and through thin For public power
2: enthusiasts without and within Roll on, enthusiasts, roll on Again,
3: I'm Scott Corwin, Executive Director of Northwest Public Power Power Association. Uh, Thank you for being here. I wanted to, well, before we kick us off here, I also wanted to thank uh, a few folks. Um, that, um, that helped us locally uh, organize all this. And actually, even across the West helped us organize this, including uh, the person chairing our events uh, committee that I'll introduce in a second. But that events committee uh, was, was made up of Libby Kalanon, Brian Bertacci, Alex Cousins, Greg Cullen, Michelle Reimers, Molly Simpson, and Mike Squires on our board that helped oversee and guide us here. So thanks to all of them. And also thanks to our local folks that created a committee and created the swag, donated the bags, the swag in the bags, uh, including NWPPA with the flashlights. But the other pieces were all from local folks. Uh, the Alaska Power Association, we mentioned earlier. Crystal, you met. And Mike Rovito hauled all this stuff around in the back of his truck. Thank you, Michael. MEA, uh, Matnuska with, with Sabrina Combs, and you just saw Julie speak for Matanuska, Chugach, Julie Hasquit was the point person. Copper Valley, Sharon Scheidt. And Homer Electric, Electric, Carrie Ann Baker, and Jen uh, Rosen. Rosen? Rosen. Rosen. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you, uh, Homer, Copper, Chugach, MEA, and APA for all your help here uh, this week. Thank you. Love, folks. Yeah. Okay, now without further ado, the chair of our events committee, uh, the GM at Hood River Electric and Internet Co op, a board member extraordinaire, please welcome Libby Kelman.
2: Good morning, everyone. How are you today? I'm going to ask you to do something because it's fun. Everybody, say hi. i uh, have a background in communications so if you've met me at this conference i've probably taken a selfie with you Uh, communications people love that get yourself in some photos and send them back to your communications people at your co-ops they will appreciate it Um, this morning i have the pleasure of introducing a great panel these are some of our premier leaders in the northwest energy circles and have been for the last few decades and they're going to be talking about how we see the future of energy in the west shaping up it's wonderful to have them all on stage together here in alaska Because you have all been wonderful about downloading the app, I'm not going to read their bios. I'm going to encourage you to go to the app and read the bios. So I will let you know that today we have former BPA administrators, Randy Hardy, Steve Wright, and Bill Drummond. And they all were BPA administrators and still fill active roles in the energy space across the region. So it's great to have them here. And then to moderate and preside over the panel and make sure they do it right, we have Deborah Smith from Seattle City Light here, and it's great to be on the stage with her. So welcome, everyone. And here you go, Deborah.
1: Thank you. It's super fun to be here this morning. It's fun to be uh, amongst friends and colleagues and uh, people I haven't seen for quite a while. And it's incredibly gorgeous. I, some of us have been talking about the the how do you go to sleep when it's light and I live on the 19th floor of a uh, high apartment building at the corner of 2nd and Pike with lights all around and so I'm pretty used to the light at night but one thing that was actually very odd that took me by surprise was during COVID when suddenly it got dark and the city got dark. Now that was more disconcerting to me to look out and think about all the money I was losing because the lights weren't on. So that kept me up at night, if nothing else. So um, I'm super happy to be here and to, to moderate the panel. I think Libby, I don't know how you and Scott call this. We're going to talk about the future. No, we're not. When people when people ask me to do something like this, or maybe in this case, I asked to do it. I don't know. Um, uh, you can call it whatever you like, but we're going to have an interesting conversation. And as my friend Steve Wright told me once, the key is not to answer the question, it's to answer the question you wish you'd been asked. And so in this case, I'm going to ask the questions that I wanted to ask. And I promise you one thing, we will have a good time. And you will learn some new things potentially about some folks that uh, you maybe thought you knew everything there was to know about so um, these are friends of mine. Um, I feel honored to be with them, uh, they don't know the questions, so uh, they don't know what i'm going to ask them. and this is an interesting thing I, I said to them hey your friends you guys trust me right so when you say to somebody you trust me right. Do they really get to say no it's a really it's, it's a tough spot to put somebody in so uh, they they went along with it and so this is going to be an unscripted conversation and uh, and I'm excited about it so as Libby noted uh, these are our ex Bonneville administrators um, this was your ticket to the party was because you are an ex-Bonneville administrator. And again, your bios are available on the app and many of us know you and we respect and honor and appreciate the work that you've done both in your roles at Bonneville and in the other activities that uh, that you've had along the way. And for some of you, that Bonneville gig uh, was quite a while ago. For some of you, sure. it was, yeah.
4: <laughs> I'm older than yeah. <laughs> yeah. most of you in the audience apparently.
1: Yeah. And this is your opportunity to provide a two minute elevator pitch or elevator speech so let's pretend we're all in an elevator uh, and uh, it's either stuck or it's an incredibly slow elevator and uh, and while we're waiting for help, uh, we decide to share stories unbelievable as it sounds, none of us have ever met each other. So this is your time uh, to go, and so it's weird, but I'll go first. Hi, my name is Deborah Smith. I've been in the business of helping people be more comfortable for almost 30 years. Started as an accountant and I'm now what you call a well-rounded, well-seasoned, aka older, uh, executive serving as the CEO of one of uh, CE City of Seattle's Municipal Electric Utility. One of the things I'm proudest of is making it almost through my tour of duty without getting canned, but as my friend Randy Hardy likes to say he's the only one to make it out alive in the last 50 years so we're going to start with you Randy what's your elevator pitch.
4: Well, my my elevator pitches uh, I started out in 1966 as a graduate of the Naval Academy uh and spent 10 years in active duty in the in the navy mostly in the gulf of tonkin uh learned a lot about management learned a lot about a lot of things uh but uh, got married eight eight years into the, what turned out to be a 10-year navy career and uh then was lucky enough uh, to transition into the electric utility business and get back out to, to the northwest and have been you know in various utility positions here in the northwest for the last 45 years uh i i now do consulting uh after my bonneville stint uh and uh occasionally uh as i was telling you before you, you remember something from the past that uh uh is useful now uh i think of uh, this is relevant to all three of us uh Probably half of the workforce in your utilities has been has been hired since 2001, and the low water year that occurred that, which was one of the more seminal events in our in our 85 year history at Bonneville. Uh, there are lots of things that that are new, and yet there are lots of things that are old uh, that you uh, can sometimes remind people of and, and are relevant for. Uh, for projecting into the future and uh uh, you know markets will provide is fine and they will if you structure it right but knowing when they won't uh is the is a key element of being able to manage your utility at least in the lower 48 uh in a uh, reasonable and responsible fashion
5: hi i'm bill drummond so, Deborah hit me with this uh, a few minutes ago outside, and then suddenly, you know, you have two minutes to say something, uh, which is not my style at all. I tend to uh, think and try to plan as much as I can. Uh, so, I'll just say uh, I came into this business completely by accident. I, I was originally a forester by training, uh, it turned out uh, Nobody was willing to pay me to walk around the woods and commune with nature, which came as a terrible shock. Um, I uh, went back to school and ended up uh, working for a guy who did work in the electric utility industry. And there went uh, for about 40, now almost 42 years. My first uh, interaction with NWPPA uh, i came to the 1989 annual meeting um, uh, norm j cox was the executive director uh, and i um, uh, gave a speech there because at the time i was the head of the public power council um, i uh, i have thoroughly enjoyed uh, my career in public power and I say career in public power because I spent the vast majority of it there Um, without question uh, what was the most fun uh, meeting the people just the people you get to work with are the best so um, as I now you know kind of look back at the tail end of that and realize um, that I am one of the old people that I used to look up to when I came into this business, um, you know, I, I just I would urge you to encourage people to get into public power and, uh, and join public service because uh, I'll never regret it.
6: All right, so my name is Steve Wright, and uh, I uh well a long long time ago uh was in college and uh, got involved in some state legislative activity and then some campaigns for some state legislators and fell in love with public service and decided that i was going to go to a public administration school for graduate school and i wanted to spend my career in public service and uh walked out of the university of oregon and Fortunately, the Northwest Power Act had passed just a couple of weeks before I graduated and uh, gave me an opportunity to be able to get a job there. And I spent the next 32 years there and then another eight years at uh, Chelan Public Utility District. And of that time, uh, the thing that was the most scarring event of my career and influences what the work I do today is what Randy referred to as the 2001 West Coast energy crisis, which was just unbelievable in terms of the amount of damage it did, and, and uh, what felt like, honestly, a failure for our industry because of the impact on on real-world people, people who lost jobs, and uh, what we did in terms of degrading the environment to try to increase supply and, and uh, make it match demand. <clears throat> so today, um, I work a lot on uh, resource adequacy issues, uh, and honestly, I felt like it was resource adequacy and the way California managed the system that created those problems. And so it's resource adequacy and thinking about structures and uh, for how the industry is put together and trying to make sure that we don't find ourselves in a position like that again.
1: I said that these three gentlemen are friends I consider friends of mine. They are very close friends of each other. And so I want you to feel free to jump in. If somebody's answering a question and you wanna follow up or ask them something else, do it. I want this to be interactive and and fun for all of us. So that's Those are the ground rules. And towards the end of our time together, we're going to play a game. Does anyone here listen to Public Power Underground? It's an amazing podcast. And uh, we are fortunate to have the creator and and a producer and star and I think all things Public Power Underground here with us today, Paul Dockery. So we'll do that towards the end um, and uh, and we'll go from there. So I'd like to start with some reflections on the past okay so this is a this is a fun one and i'm not going to assign you can just decide who wants to go first so if you could write your own eulogy and i realize that some of you have probably done that because as you voted you like to control things and plan things but if you had please share one example of something that you're particularly proud of and why
4: well i will over and uh i i think uh probably the event that, that that I'm most proud of, but it's hardly something that I did alone was in 1995. We had the, the Energy Policy Act of 92 had just passed, in which deregulated electricity at the wholesale level. And uh, that created the kind of Enron era of energy marketers, if you could call them that. Uh, and and there all of a sudden, what we thought was a growing deficit turned into a surplus of electricity. You know, We'd been there before in the early 80s with the whoops nuclear plants, uh, but this was a different kind of animal. Uh, and uh, we woke up one day in April of 95. We had Bonneville, did, and I was CEO then. And we just got a letter from one of our DSI customers, the CEO who happened to be a very good friend of mine saying, Randy, I'm really sorry, but we've got to take the top quartile of our, of our service off of Bonneville and put it with a bunch of other suppliers. Uh, And uh, because you're just not competitive. Uh, And I said, okay, I understand. I want you to write me a letter. And I want the prices in there. And to his credit, he did. And it turned out that our uh, he was able to buy power from a number of suppliers at about 20 mils, about $20 a megawatt hour. And our wholesale rate at that time was $28 a megawatt hour. And we did not have take or pay contracts. Uh, and uh, that set off a mad scramble for us to cut our costs, cancel outstanding liabilities, uh and 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 try to allow our customers some degree of flexibility typically 15 to 20 percent uh and not miss a treasury payment if we would have missed our treasury payment that would have been the federal equivalent of bankruptcy uh and it would have put us basically the, the operative political dynamic would would have been that the Northwest delegation lost control of giving direction to the agency and the department of energy uh would have had a much stronger hand and and we would have been responsive to changes in administration different administrations to a much greater extent uh than we are now so what did we do we cut a thousand cuts the wrong word we released a thousand staff we got the legislative authorization thanks to senator hatfield pay them a a separation bonus in essence we canceled all kinds of agreements probably the most the relevant one being the tenaska power contract uh, for a combustion turbine that uh we ultimately settled after an arbitration for 350 million dollars uh they sued us for a billion uh and and a whole variety of, of other measures we terminated uh, the supply systems uh, number one and number three plants which have been mothballed for 10 years but we all knew we we're never going to be built and the list goes on uh, but we had incredible support from the staff, and we went through. Steve may want to talk more about this. Uh, uh, we, we, we thought we had it pretty well balanced because we had to cut all of our costs, which meant the way the, the so-called 7B2 formula and the Regional Power Act works, uh, that, uh, uh, that we also costs would be cut for the residential exchange subsidy that goes to residential small farm customers of investor utilities. That earned us full-page ads from uh, courtesy of Portland General Electric and Puget Sound Energy and the various Seattle Times and, uh, and the Oregonian uh, of what dirty, uncharitable people we were and yada, yada, yada. Uh, and uh, and that was a, a, a difficult time because the, 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 the narrative was that you know, we were cutting this to save the aluminum companies uh you know no we were doing it to save uh save the agency and the public power and the benefits that it provided to, not just to our customers but to the region as a whole uh but uh the staff the staff responded uh, wonderfully to that meeting or to that six month period of major changes but probably most impressive was senator hatfield just saved our ass uh without him we couldn't have done any of these things but he set aside his normal agenda and the the neat thing about it was i showed him the letter from the aluminum company with the prices in it he understood in seconds what what we were facing no other politician in the delegation would even know after three hours what we were facing, but, but Senator Hatfield did. And to his credit, he jumped in and devoted an enormous amount of time and political capital. Uh, worked out a deal with the Vice President Gore to fish costs, and um, you know all kinds of other things. Steve was the, our Washington D.C. liaison at the time, so he was and bill was was with ppc at the time and kind of was at a was a a a interested and and somewhat fearful observer i expect of uh, of what was going on but we made it through and i think that was the seminal moment in, in my career
1: that was great randy thank you let's a little a little round of applause for randy for saving the day Actually, I started in this industry in January of 1996. So I came into the utility during that period of flexibility and optionality. So it was a very interesting time to start. Um, Was right on the heels of all of those decisions you made. Okay, who wants to go next?
5: Go ahead. I think you'll follow on if I I forecast correctly. (laughs)
6: Well, honestly, it's hard to pick because there were so many fun things to be involved in and uh, the, the events that Randy talked about were incredibly exciting if you're head of the Bonneville Washington DC office to, to go to the meetings with Senator Hatfield and and uh, be involved in all of the legislation that occurred, uh, that, you know, trying to get through the West Coast Energy Crisis was really hard, putting the new power sales contracts in place was really hard, trying to figure out how to do the, um, the Columbia Basin Fish Accords and work out arrangements with the tribes were really hard. But if I was gonna pick one thing, it's actually the thing that I've done like from day one in my career. And by the way, it turns out I worked for Randy a couple of times. I worked for him in energy efficiency when I first started working at the agency way back in the early eighties. And I just have fundamentally believed that energy efficiency was the big, uh, beyond the hydro system, the second big competitive advantage that the Northwest had, the opportunities and what we've been able to do to take advantage of it. And the, the thing that I probably am proudest of is when the fifth council power plan came out. It said that we could double the amount of uh, energy efficiency acquisition, and there was a lot of concern in the utility community about whether we could do that or not. And we put together a group um, that we called the Northwest Energy Efficiency Leadership Group. Had a lot of public power involvement, a bunch of investor-owned utilities, um, folks from the energy efficiency community, and. Uh, over the course of the next five years, we not only accomplished what was in the council plan, we went beyond it and we get, got more. And I think it showed that when we work together, we can do amazing things, things that we don't think we can do, we are able to accomplish when we work collaboratively together. And it, it was just a lot of fun to be involved in that and, and feel like that was something that made a big difference for the Northwest, both in terms of the economy, because it kept uh, kept costs low. Um, but in terms of the environment and some of the challenges that we would have had otherwise to try to meet load with what would have been some um, more environmentally damaging resources
1: thanks and speaking for seattle we still believe that energy efficiency is the most cost-effective resource and we remain committed to it and we're at a fascinating point right now where we start to think about maybe energy efficiency in a broader way in terms of distributed energy resources and how do we use these various tools together along to to allow us to electrify in an organized and cost effective way, Bill?
5: Um, Like Steve it's it's difficult to sort of pick one thing um, because it's been uh, such a a fabulous ride. I I would say if I look back at one thing, um, I spent uh, 17 years working for a group of small, uh, six small co-ops and a tribal utility in uh, Western Montana, all Bonneville customers. Uh, uh, In the late 90s, as Randy was describing, uh, Bonneville's costs were going up. uh, They were coming into a period where they were going to have to sign new contracts. Lots and lots of customers, Uh, uh, Judy Johansson faced a situation where lots and lots of customers were saying, we're not going to buy from Bonneville. We've got all these marketers coming to us, telling us what a great deal it is. Certainly my vision for where Western Montana generating and transmission co-op was going to go was to diversify, and we had diversified a portion of our load. Uh, My expectation was we were going to diversify a huge amount of it. Uh, Working with Bonneville, uh, we found a a relatively obscure clause in the uh, authorization for Hungry Horse Dam that said a portion of Hungry Horse, uh, the output of Hungry Horse uh, was supposed to be for the benefit of the people of the state of Montana. Um, Bonneville was desperate to uh, sign contracts. They wanted to prove that they could negotiate and sign a contract with uh, preference customers and so we worked with them we were able to sign um, a contract a full requirements contract with bonneville for each of our members so except one um there were um uh and, and again it, it completely blew up my vision for the organization i i was really i, I struggled with it mightily uh, turned out it was the best thing ever. It saved those folks about a hundred million dollars uh, over the 10 year life of the contract. It was a, an incredible deal. And, uh, you know, as, as Randy alluded to, um, it, it was over um, my best arguments that they signed it and it worked out really well.
4: Yeah, remember two cents in 2000, Bill, and we made that goal. Yeah,
1: that's, right. that's right. So that was the one thing I would point to that's great I've got a quick one I'll share so back earlier in my career when I worked at the Eugene water and electric board I had the opportunity I served for a period of time Libby I don't think you knew this as the telecommunication development manager and we had built our, our ring and we'd overbuilt and so like a lot of utilities at the time we thought let's look at whether it would make sense to provide service So we looked at everything from, you know, a total overbuild um, and then ultimately landed on a project that we called MetroNet, and we were going to provide gig service to larger customers in predefined areas where there were business concentrations. And we went through and we did the work, we had a great business case, we went to city council got approval to use excess funds to get that started, and then we had a recession and. um, and I remember going through the numbers and refreshing the numbers. And, you know, we're at this point where we have permission, we're supposed to start. And I finally went forward and said, we shouldn't do the project. It doesn't make sense to do the project. And the economics have changed and uh, and being so vested in something. And then having what felt for me, especially I was probably in my early, well, I probably wasn't even in my 40s, I was late 30s, very, you know, barely 40, Um, I still look back at that, and sometimes I wonder if I'd have the guts to do it today, but it was a very hard decision, it haunted me, and, and, uh, but yeah, it's something I feel really, really proud of, because it would have been a, a big mistake had we moved forward, and so I'm thankful for that, okay, this is a short one, okay, you get one, well, I, well, first of all, quick question, I, do any of you play golf?
4: play golf golf I used to I don't
1: I know these guys are keeping track over here I think uh it's Steve and Bill about how many runs they got on the slopes now that they are quote unquote retired versus the old days but golf is another one so you get one mulligan one mulligan what would you do over
5: probably be at Bonneville a little longer in my career <laughs> <laughs> there you go that's a good
4: one yeah I would have never approved the Tenaska contract
2: which it,
4: one the Tenaska. the Tenaska turbine contract the one I alluded to that cost us 330 million dollars to settle. it was I don't want to go into the details of it but it was a terrible it, two things happened one we, we thought we had a, a power shortage and we had a surplus all of the 1980s the second thing is we wrote a terrible contract with cost escalators in it that never should have been it uh and i didn't review it in the, in the name of let the staff do the work kind of theme within the agency at the time uh, i didn't review it carefully enough that was a, by far the biggest mistake i ever made
6: uh i think i stayed too long um you know there were some reasons to to stay because uh the way retirement worked investing and some of those kinds of things but uh there's a uh, there's a period of time when you are going up the slope and you're getting better and then you get to be good, and then there's a point when which you are going downhill. And I went beyond that point, I think, and uh, should have left earlier. Yeah,
1: I, I mind it the same because um, I actually, unlike you guys, I got to think of these questions, Is't that fun? So I, I stayed too long at eWeb. When I applied for the GM job and didn't get it, I stayed 3 years and I should have left sooner. I don't think I was doing employees a whole lot of favor by being there during that period of time. So, yeah, I would have left sooner. Okay, we're going to move forward to the present. So that was the past. Now we're in the present. Um, you know, I, you know, I may or may not be making a career change in the next few months and and so I thought it would be fun to talk to you about this. This is a lightning round. So, did any of you actually intend to fully retire when you last left your last full-time gig we know you didn't but did you ever intend to
4: no no I didn't uh I wanted to keep involved in the industry at the time I retired I was in my mid-50s uh and so I I had uh uh, you know a lot of things that, that I thought I could do and and I well, I, I did this consulting thing at first, intending for it to just be a bridge to be a senior executive in some other utility. And then for personal reasons, uh, 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 we adopted a son in, in 1992, it was a one pound, 12 ounce premium. And, uh, and had significant complications with that. But the biggest one was that he, had very, that he has very severe dyslexia uh and so at that time he was chris was about seven or eight and i had to be the i had to be the homework dad uh and and that was just completely incompatible uh with any line management position of any type so i did the consulting and that's turned out fine and uh now chris is off and he's he works for the local car repair garage and he's a he's a terrific mechanic and that's just the right niche for him and you know and i'm busy still consulting and you know, you miss you you miss not being at the center of things and being able to decide stuff. But the schedule flexibility and the lack of stress is well worth it.
1: How about you two? Mm-hmm. Oh, um,
5: so I thought I, I actually had hoped that I would uh, stay involved in the business in some fashion, just because I enjoy the people so much, and the issues are endlessly fascinating. The the challenges never stop over 40 plus years. Uh, So I'd hope uh, to stay involved, but at the same time, I didn't want it to interfere with skiing and biking and travel (laughs) and everything else. So I'm sort of still working on that balance a little bit i
6: definitely fully intended to be involved in some way but i wanted it to be more part-time i'm not doing a very good job of that right now so i have to rebalance again and get back to more part-time but uh like bill said uh, the the hardest thing actually is you get used to talking to the people and you miss the conversations and the opportunity to both catch up on what's going on in the industry but you have all these people that you know about their lives right. and, you know their families and how they've gotten to where they are and you miss those opportunities just to be able to catch up how are things
1: going? What do you find most personally fulfilling about this new life that you've created for yourself, But you kind of already all answered it and spoke about people and relationships and being involved? Is there anything you'd add to that?
4: Mm-hmm. Perfect.
6: Um. Well, I had something I wanted to say while I was up here, and it might be, remember is, that? Does it involve
1: Markets Plus and <laughs> SPP, Steve? No, no, no.
6: <laughs> but you said, remember, I told you before, I like to answer the question I want to get asked, so I'm going to answer that one for a moment. Uh, we put together an event about a year and a half ago. Uh, actually, it was a guy by the name of Eric Redmond suggested this, and he said, you should get all the living former administrators together and just have them be together for a weekend. And so we did came to um, pretty much everybody came and we had the most amazing weekend actually and what was incredible about it the thing that I remember the most was a conversation that went around and said what was the the best job you ever had and everybody said the best job I ever had was the Bonneville job and we had Don Hodell there who had been Secretary of Energy and Secretary of Interior and he said best job I ever had was the Bonneville job Um, because of this incredible ability to be able to do things that really mattered that were important uh, made difference in people's lives and there was a lot of authority there Uh, and candidly there was a lot of help and cover because the part that we don't tend to talk about publicly very much is the Washington DC angle to the Bonneville job Um, it's a huge part of the job is trying to manage the the Washington DC angle and there's this tremendous amount of help and support that we would. That all of us got during that time from people in D.C. Randy spoke about Senator Hatfield, but there's story after story, and I could, you know, tell you a dozen stories from my time about uh, members that really uh, were incredibly helpful. And you know, politics has this, you know, uh, cultural aversion in our country. Actually, there are tons of people who are elected officials that are really committed to public service and want to do the right thing. And you can work with them. At Bonneville, you can work with them. So there's just a uh, that was the the biggest thing. It's this opportunity to do something big and to work with folks who were committed as you were to try to make good things happen.
1: This is a lightning round question, so you get to say yes or no, and then you get to say like one <laughs> sentence. So some would say, and some do say, that the industry we love is in the midst of the greatest transformation since the electrification of rural America. Um, do you agree or disagree? And if you agree, what's the driver for that change? What's one driver for that change?
6: Yes, decarbonization and trying to figure out how to make variable energy resources substitute for dispatchable generation. It's really hard to do. And be affordable, reliable, and clean.
4: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the making that transition particularly making it affordable and reliable. Stephen, I've had this conversation a number of times where a $30, $30 price for a solar or a, or a wind plant when you get down to providing the same product with load following and balancing and everything else is actually a 50 to 60 dollar price when you get done with it. That never appears in any press release, but that's the reality that you as managers have to deal with.
5: I would agree. For, for me, it's it's less on the resource side and more on the transmission side how in god's name are we going to keep the system alive when it takes 20 years to plan to permit and to construct a new transmission line and i don't have the answer to that
1: yeah i don't think many people do i think that is one of the big uh questions folks are are struggling with so Okay, so let's imagine that uh, that you are in a conversation with my seven-year-old grandson, Oliver, who's incredibly smart and very bright. And he asks you, he says, hey, Uncle Steve, <laughs> why did you and my Nana take so long uh, and to let climate change get so bad without taking action? The,
4: the US political system, in my judgment, are just universally true. Has real difficulty when you have to make near term investments and incur and incur near-term costs for long term benefits. That's about the hardest thing you have to do in politics. But that's what that's what combating climate change requires. And our system isn't very good at accommodating that.
1: I'll share all of that with Oliver when I see him next and last uh because we need done on a good note um despite that last question
6: what gives you hope i think that uh, public power because it's so connected to the people will figure out ways to make this work two things i've seen in the last two years i'm really excited about new technology and the entrepreneurialism of the american economy it really is incredible um, We just have this amazing country that allows us to come up with new technology and make things happen. I look at the changes during the course of my career and think this this business operates way differently than it used to. It's going to keep getting better and better. It's a really good thing that some of us are going to retire because we need a lot of new people who think differently than we do to make this work. And I just can't wait to see what folks are going to come up with and how they're going to figure out how to solve some of these difficult problems. I think they will oh that's awesome
1: i'm going to invite my friend paul dockery up to play the game but let's give these gentlemen some applause because these were amazing comments and thoughts and they were worried and it was fine you guys did great
0: I think they're less worried about yours and more worried about my game. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to play a game. Public Power Underground is for electric utility enthusiasts, and we try to distill down complex energy topics in infotaining ways. So we're going to play a game together, trying to synthesize complicated topics for each other. Each of you are experts in like niche energy topics. So, we're gonna give each of you uh, two minutes and 20 seconds. That's a Twitter-length video amount of time to explain your topic of expertise in an infotaining way. And then the other panelists will have the optimal TikTok video length of 34 seconds to regurgitate back what they said and try to be more entertaining. And we're doing this for an award that I'm calling. The seen, heard valued and appreciated award of public power underground so it'll be my decision at the end on who wins and i'll probably try to get some feedback, because let's be honest they're way more powerful than me. Um, and if I choose wrong I get to blame all you, if you participate in it so that's probably what we're going to do so uh, with that we're going to start with the first topic and the first topic is for you Steve. You are a recipient of the Northwest Energy Efficiency Alliance's Chairperson Award um, and one of the first leaders in the region to articulate energy efficiency's role in a more resilient power system. And you mentioned earlier, it's one of the prides of your career is working on energy efficiency. So can you synthesize for all of us the importance of price responsive demand for the energy transition in two minutes and 20 seconds? or less. Ready? I got a clock because this is where you're on the clock. Ready? Go.
6: Well, so first of all, we have a huge resource adequacy problem as a region, and it's worse than we think it is. You know, I've spent some time on this in the last year, and the numbers are not good. There's way more load out there than we thought. The PNUCC forecast that came out a month ago tells us that. We got to figure out a way to solve that. We will not be able to build enough generation, I don't think, and transmission to be able to keep up. And so we're going to have to find some other alternatives and the best alternative that's out there is a combination of energy efficiency and demand response uh, and we're going to have to figure out a way to engage our customers try to, in order to be able to keep the lights on. Uh, price is a way to be able to send signals to customers, uh, the really hard part about this is going to be the values keep changing. So, uh, we used to think that there was nighttime and daytime and that, that, that's where the value was a differential. Now all of a sudden it's, uh, six to eight o'clock at night. Uh, in the Midwest it's four o'clock in the afternoon when the wind stops blowing. Um, they're, they're just, we're going to be sending very confusing signals to our customers about when is the right time to use electricity, uh, to be able to get the price responsive value. But we're going to have to figure out a way to communicate with them because I think if we don't, we face a big, a really serious reliability problem.
0: Well done. Well done. You had a whole minute left and that earns you extra points, right? Everybody <laughs> extra points for Steve because he left a minute on the clock. Look at that. They're cheering you on. Okay. So the next is we're going to get. 30, in 34 seconds, you're going to try to be more infotaining. Think analogies, think means, think examples, think something like that. Deborah, I'm going to go with you next. I'm going to put you on the clock for 34 seconds. Um, we're almost there. It's going to take me like 10 seconds to get to 34 seconds. I got to 35. You get an extra second because you're my general we'll manager.
1: We're, we're moving from a time of, oh, um, we're go. moving, what am I started? You're yeah, we're now. moving from a time of passive, our customers do what we tell them to, including energy efficiency in many ways, to a time where they will have to engage with us and be full partners. That's hard for us because we don't necessarily like being full partners with our customers because there is a long history of us knowing what's best. Yes, holy cow, well done, you have 14 seconds left. That's amazing. Okay,
0: so we're going to go to... Uh, Randy, next. You ready, Randy? Yep. You have 34 seconds. Ready?
4: Go. Electric vehicles. That's the biggest, <laughs> that's the biggest challenge we're going to face, because they'll be the optimal time to charge will be different in California than it is in Kansas, than it is in the Northwest, than it is in New England. And trying to communicate that differential signal to people Forget about charging stations and all the other problems with electric vehicles is going to be really challenging. You guys are doing great. You guys are
0: synthesizing a complicated topic in infotaining ways. And
6: Bill,
0: look at Bill speaking. You're up right? next, Bill. Yeah. You, you're ready for this. Yeah. I know you're ready for this. You got an example I'm, for me? Just waiting, make, waiting for me, right?
5: Make a joke about Ted Lasso. Yes, that's all you got to do. And then <laughs> yeah. you win the game.
0: I accidentally gave you 40 seconds, but you get 40 seconds. Go. Sorry.
5: Um, it's been remarkable to watch the the transformation of energy efficiency from something that was originally viewed as now we as utilities are going to pay our customers to use less of our product to today, where it's an opportunity, a resource, that we all need to go out and acquire. The Northwest is so far ahead of many other parts of the country uh, in energy efficiency, but we've got to do better. And we've got to make it a system that people want to participate in
0: and right use the whole time. The I actually think you maybe get extra points for using the whole time on that one, <laughs> actually, okay? Here, here's, here's my sense of this. Nobody asked me, but I'm up here, so I get to do it anyway. Price-responsive de- demand is the sexy new frontier of energy efficiency. It's the sexy new frontier. Price-responsive demand. Okay, so that's the first that's one. That's up next, we're gonna talk to you, Randy, and we're gonna talk about Northwest transmission and transmission constraints. So you get two minutes and 20 seconds to talk about how you're going to solve transmission for all
4: of us. Are you ready? Go. Bonneville, Bonneville, Bonneville. There is no other transmission organization in the Northwest that's positioned to do much of anything at this point. You've got Northern Grid, you've got other organizations. They're just not going to make it. They're they're, They're useful for tactical individual, you know, projects like looking at Oregon offshore wind. Uh, but not uh, but not the omnibus thing. Bonneville's laid out its tier one projects. That's a good start. Bonneville thinks it's enough to serve all of its objectives, uh, meet all of the 80% clean energy demands in Oregon and Washington by 2030. No way. Uh, it'll meet some of them, it won't meet all of them. Uh, but Bonneville still has to be uh, the agency and the vehicle for building the transmission lines, installing series capacitors and other devices uh, that can be done within substations that, uh, and are a lot environmentally more doable than building a new transmission line. We'll get there eventually, uh, but we will not get there in the twenty thirty timeframe to the degree that the politicians have decreed. But having those mandates is what is helping people move. Uh, uh, that's uh, that's a significant benefit uh, in and of itself. And we'll get to a mid-course correction point. My guess is about 2028 or 2029, uh, and we'll see what that is. And uh, that will uh, uh, that still will got help us. Yeah, yeah, right. you are doing it, great. That that, that that will help us, uh, you know, significantly. But but right now, in my view, we still need to do a lot more. And and Bonneville and the other, particularly investor-owned utilities who own most of the transmission in the Northwest are uh, are lagging with the exception of pacific Corp., who is building transmission but for its own marketing objectives as opposed to to any regional benefit it'll, it'll help uh, but it won't but th- those things together need to still accelerate significantly
0: it was a bold strategy to start your infotaining answer with bonneville and end with Pacific Core, but I respect it. That was a bold (laughs) strategy. I respect it. Um, So uh, we're going to go to Bill, you're going next on transmission. Can you solve transmission in 34 seconds or less? Or just describe transmission issues that we need to solve in 34 seconds or less? Or I'll keep meandering uh, until I get to 30. I I stopped at 35. I just pressed the button until it goes. Ready, Bill?
5: Right. I would commend to all of you a paper that just came out from the Northwest Independent Power Producers Council or Coalition, or whatever, NIPC, and the uh, Renewable Northwest, uh, because it talks about the very thing that, that Randy described. What is the role of Bonneville uh, in regional transmission? It's a real tour de force and and you will be much better educated on the issue. Uh, it can be a little thick, but I, I would really recommend it because they have a point of view uh, but it's a fascinating
4: paper, and half of it is educational purely. Yes, yes. the other half is advocacy. But the educational right. part, I learned some things that I didn't know. Yeah.
0: You learned some things that you didn't know. It's that good.
4: Well, I think so. But I...
0: <laughs> I okay, Steve, you're up next. Um, solve transmission issues in 34 seconds or less. You got to follow a tour de force in Bonneville and PAC. So, uh, it's a high bar for infotainment right now. Ready? Take it away.
6: Ditto to uh, Randy and Bill. And then on top of that, we really need a regional transmission plan. And unfortunately, I don't think we have a strong regional transmission planning organization at this point. And I think we, uh, Northern Tier could be it. But we really need to lay out the plan so the public can see where the opportunities are. And second, there's an effort going on to try to remove some of the civil service rules for Bonneville so Bonneville could compete and be able to hire uh, talent. And honestly, that really needs to happen because the differentials between Bonneville and public power, much less the investor-owned utilities, in terms of pay, gotten too big.
0: Yeah, and uh, championing people is a great way to win this game. So you you really got the inside job on it because championing people is is a theme of Public Power Underground. We like to talk about people and advocating for people and recruiting people to public power because we need to replace the we need to replace an aging workforce so Deborah, 34 seconds or less
1: okay planning markets I don't care which one uh, agree that Pacific will build what's in their best interest and without planning that will not serve us as a region in the way we need it and lastly a big part of it is to lean into distributed energy resources that don't require the long transmission belts
0: that was awesome That was awesome, Deborah.
1: He works for me, by the way. I do. I do, (laughs) actually.
0: If you've listened to Public Power Underground, you know the three Ps of transmission planning, permitting, paying for, and planning. The three Ps. And we all learn from Rob Glamlich, if you listen to Public Power Underground, that paying for is two-thirds of it. So the markets, the RTO, those type of organizations very very important. Okay. any 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 y'all have some ideas? I don't know how to read the room. I don't have any way of like surveying you. So you're just gonna have to give me your vibes. Just give me your vibes on who you think. There's a thumbs up over there. Okay, last or next up is Bill Drummond, uh, who is the chair of the Western Power Pool on Board of Directors. Bill, as a member of and representative of the organization that has established the West's first resource adequacy program, you are our expert on planning for peaks. So in two minutes and 20 seconds or less, can you explain resource adequacy, one in 10 loss of load expectation, and planning standards as utilities plan for increasing peaks? Just, just, you know, a couple things. You no. think you can do that in two, two, three, two, <laughs> three, six, seven? Okay. All right. Go.
5: Ready? Go. When the power went out last time at your home or business, what was your first thought? When's the power going to come back on? How long is my cell phone going to last? How will I get heat? What will happen to the food in the refrigerator for roughly 80 years the northwest power pool now the western power pool is focused on the reliability of the electric power system the members agreed to voluntarily share their electric reserves if one of them experienced a loss a lost transmission line or a generator trip that they could not handle alone. Over time, this informal sharing of reserves was formalized and now saves the region roughly 5,000 megawatts of installed capacity that the region doesn't have to install or or acquire. Uh, The Western Power Pool Reserve Sharing Program focuses on operational reserves carrying a balancing authority that is short for roughly an hour until it can find other resources. Planning adequacy, making certain that sufficient generating and transmission resources are in the pipeline to meet anticipated load was always the purview of individual utilities and the regulators. A series of events have changed that paradigm. We talked about some today the shuttering of carbon-based resource generation, adding huge volumes of intermittent resources, wild weather-related load excursions we never could have imagined, and the inability to plan, permit, and, and construct new transmission in a timely fashion. Resource adequacy is simply too critical uh, to leave to the purview of individual utilities and the regulators alone. The Western uh, US, except for California, has developed a new approach to planning adequacy, the Western Regional Adequacy Program. Focusing on planning and operational adequacy, 22 member entities must show that they have adequate capacity to meet future summer and winter peaks. It's a system that's voluntarily policed with agreed-upon planning standards, a well-defined timeline, resource crediting standards, transmission requirements, and enforceable penalties for failing to meet the standards. This also requires a new governance structure and much greater member and stakeholder participation. The RAP won't stop all blackouts, but it will help identify planning adequacy issues before they become a problem. Sorry, and I know one last thing. I don't know if one day in 10-year reliability metric is appropriate but I do know that I have never heard a customer or a member request that their power be less reliable.
0: Never have, have you? Never. And you know what, Bill? You know what? You know the path to my heart on these things? (laughs) Preparation.
2: Preparation. I loved your preparation.
0: (laughs) That was absolutely great. Great summary of what's been going on and great synthesis of the topic. So Randy, I'm going to go to you, 34 seconds or less resource adequacy, infotaining is possible. Ready, go.
4: Proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance. <laughs> My military motto applies to this.
0: You're gonna seed your time, right? After the applause, you don't need to say anything more, right, that was perfect. Do you wanna say more? You still got 16 seconds. Uh,
4: I don't know that the current YRAP program adequately, I know it does not yet include low water, because it's a capacity program, that's a problem. It needs to get there, they know that, I'm hopeful that, that they'll get there, enough said. Perfect, enough
0: said. Well done.
4: Okay, Deborah, you're up next. I'm going to give you
0: 34 seconds to, for you to explain resource adequacy in an infotaining way. I'm going to get to 34 seconds, go
1: resource adequacy is incredibly important to us we also need to build and acquire new resources and guess what that's on the investor-owned utilities
0: (laughs) awesome okay steve You answered in my first question with two minutes and 20 seconds, you answered the question you wanted to answer there, you started energy efficiency with resource adequacy now end some resource adequacy with some info taming uh, explanation of why it's important to the region ready take it
6: away well these folks again ditto to what they said but you know there's a couple things i think we could think about number one we're the only region that uses uh, average megawatts and worries about that i think the challenge is we need to be lake wobegon and figure out how we have above average megawatts Um, we could solve that problem Uh, and then actually inertia our, our engineers worry a lot about inertia we need more bring your kids to work day if you if you could just if deborah would hire my two kids i could solve the inertia problems in seattle no time at all. And you could pay my kids, that'd be great.
0: They're just always spinning around. Kids are at like so much energy, so much momentum, so much enthusiasm. Okay, we're gonna end this uh, with Deborah. You are a world renowned expert at leading electric utilities with enthusiasm. So in two minutes and 20 seconds or less, can you distill the essence of electric utility leadership with enthusiasm? Ready, go.
1: Okay. First of all, I love my employees, and I'm not afraid to use the word love. I think it's okay for us to love our employees. We love our jobs. Why wouldn't we love the people that we work alongside? I believe in accountability, transparency, and intentionality, and I talk about all three of those two employees all the time, and I believe they only work if they go together. I also believe that employees and people, we all deserve to have a supervisor who cares about us, who cares about our future. I talk to supervisors about that regularly. And I think if I have a people problem, it's always my number one problem, and that's my expectation for the folks that work for me. Stop what you're doing, deal with the people problem, because if your people aren't enthusiastic, no amount of enthusiasm at the top is going to matter. Last thing I'll say is that I believe, I deeply believe that people are resilient and capable of hearing really hard things. That means feedback. As long as that feedback is delivered with kindness and in a safe environment. As leaders, one of our primary jobs is to create an environment that's safe enough for people to receive feedback because it's only through that, that folks are able to come to work, feel safe, supported, and able to do their best work every day. And let's be honest, as leaders, I don't do work. What I do is create an environment where other people can be successful, can grow and do work. And that's how you create an enthusiastic workforce.
0: Well said, lead with love. That's a very good enthusiastic answer, okay. We're going to go with 42 how seconds how much time did i use you you used you had 42 seconds left uh, and you're going gonna to cede that.
1: it to randy yeah
0: yeah let's go let's go to randy okay and 42 seconds are left because what's on the clock and i don't have to reset it reading okay. electric utilities go
4: for it five rules one get out of the office spend your time out in the workforce as much as you can don't sit in your office two you know reward in public criticize in private three Clear policy guidance. You can always get consensus by increasing the generality of the conclusion. You need specific, precise policy guidance for people to be able to to, to respond uh, appropriately. Four, know the first names of your employees. When I ran Seattle City Light, an organization of 2,000 people, I knew the names of three quarters of the first names of three quarters of the people. You know, that's what you need to be able to do. And finally, keep hope alive hope is a powerful motivator you've got to nurture that especially in times of crisis so people know they can rely on you
0: great numbered list i respect numbered list if crystal ball was in the audience who couldn't come this year she would be applauding for your numbered list thank you for that okay i'm going to come to you steve uh we're going to end with bill uh so in 34 seconds or left what message would you give uh to lead electric utilities
6: so we live in a world in which uh actually we have increasing levels of wealth and when you have increasing levels of wealth people aren't as worried about how much money i'm making they're more focused on meaning and purpose and we're in an industry that creates meaning and purpose we do stuff that really matters and so it's bringing the uh inspired public service to the business about the fact that we're doing something that can change people's lives and connecting people whether it's your accountants uh to your economists To the fact that what they're doing is not just adding up numbers they're doing something that actually improves and enhances the quality of life for the people that we serve
0: lead with purpose i like it beautiful okay you get the last word bill on leading with that enthusiasm are you ready yes sir take it away
5: I am so thrilled to look out across the audience and see uh, younger people involved in public power. Uh, I I would urge each and every one of you to reach out uh, to any students, kids, grandkids that you have, and encourage them to consider a life in public power. You get to address uh, global issues, you know, greenhouse gases. uh, uh, You get to address where our power is going to come from. You get to address reliability. You get to address all of the things that that electricity covers. So encourage young people to get involved in this industry.
0: Encouraging young people to get involved, common theme. Let's do it. Take it on you, right, Randy? You already went. That was it. That was it. That's the end of the game. I lost track. Congratulations. Okay, you gotta help me out here. You gotta help me out. You got the hook. We got, we got. We'll just do applause, and then you can help me. I'll decide who gets the loudest applause. Okay, we got Lake Wobegon and above average Megawatts. Who's voting for Steve? Who's the gets the seen, heard, valued, and appreciated? Okay, good, good. That's great. Really. Okay, who wants to give preparation a round of applause? Who gives the seen, heard, valued, and appreciated the bill for the preparation and insightful synthesis? OK, we got the best mottos of the panel, let's be honest. The best mottos of the panel. Randy, cheer for Randy, OK? And then lastly, who wants to vote for my CEO on leading with love? Who wants to vote for love, Deborah Smith? Congratulations, you won the game. Deborah, it says on here, Deborah, you've won the Seen, Heard, Valued, Appreciated Award. Congratulations. Uh, uh, Thank you, everybody. I wanted to just say, Public Power Underground is on Substack, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. It's a production of Seattle City Light and News Data. It is sponsored by NWPPA, Energy Northwest, and Grid Lions, all of which are in the room. It's a public power podcast. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts, Public Power Underground. It's work to watch.
1: And the enta- today's entire conversation will potentially be on a Public Power Underground.
0: That's right. If you go find, download the app, it's great. So thank you so much. And I will leave you to close it out, Deborah. But thank you for including me.
1: Well, thank you so much for allowing us to spend time with you today. I really want to thank my panelists. You were great sports. It was very easy. Um, and I thought it was super fun to hear. And I, I do think sometimes preparation is is important it is always important but sometimes it's fun to have a conversation to not know exactly where it's going to go so you actually don't know this but I had a lot more questions and I kind of went where you were going so thank you very much for playing around and I really appreciate the fact that you trust me (laughs) thank you guys Started in hard times to bring us all in, into the
0: Public Power Underground is a production of Seattle City Light and News data. The views expressed here our own and not the official views of Seattle City Light. News data or the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Public Power Underground is electric utility and electric utility adjacent news from a power department's perspective. Today's episode was written and produced by Deborah Smith and Paul Dockery. Shout out to Deborah Smith again. thank you for all the work you did on this panelist and for hosting it so elegantly. And it's edited and published by the Stellar team of Pioneer Utility Resources with sound mixing by Lucas Smith and video editing by Brendan Delzer. Special thanks to Kevin Shepsky from IMIG Audio Video for audio and video support at the Event Center in Anchorage, Alaska. Our theme song, Roll on Enthusiast, was rewritten, performed, and recorded by Aaron Guillory and Ian Bledsoe. You don't have to be subscribed to Newsdata's weekly newsletter to get this podcast, but it sure makes the podcast make a lot more sense. Mother Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Mother Power Underground, it's work to watch.